Hello, welcome to Talks at Brickstone, your one-stop podcast for research, insights and interviews on thought leadership issues relating to Africa's infrastructure, built environment and natural environment. I'm your host, Femi Awopala. Today we have um, a guest speaker in the house, Dr. Nelson Abila, and he'll be taking us through unlocking finance for post-harvest processing the pathway to value chain development. Um, you are welcome, Dr. Nelson, and please uh, give us a bit of introduction about yourself and you know what your career is about and why you think it's an important topic to discuss. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Ofana. Uh, it's quite a pleasure to be here today uh, to make this presentation. Uh, for background, uh, I'm an agricultural economist and I worked previously as an agribusiness specialist with, a, with the United Nations Development Program in Nigeria, uh, coordinating a program which is agribusiness supplier development program, which helps to sort of address a range of issues affecting agricultural uh, uh, valuation, particularly dealing with rice and cassava valuations in Nigeria. Uh, currently, I work with the African Development Bank as a development economist. Uh, uh, assessing development outcomes and additionality of the bank's finance uh, projects. Thank you. Uh, the topic of today, uh, unlocking finance for post-harvest processing, uh, the pathway to value chain development, it's a very important uh, topic. Uh, let me start by saying it's an honor to join you all in this webinar series towards advancing the discussion on industrial agriculture, or what I would prefer to call industrialization of agriculture in our continent. To be clear, industrialization of agriculture does not necessarily mean the big and destructive agriculture with all the negative impacts, destruction of land, landscape, ecosystem, and excessive pollution. No, industrialization of agriculture that is fitting for Africa should be destructive changing the narrative of our agricultural production and transforming our agricultural landscape to the one that is sustainable and provide inclusive economic growth. I've been asked to speak on the challenges in unlocking funding options for post-harvest processing equipment by existing large-scale farms and anchor borrower schemes. I've treated the topic a bit. This presentation is titled Unlocking Finance for Post-Harvest Processing the pathway to valuation development. Many thanks to the project director and the convener uh, of the African Catalyst 101 Industrial Agricultural Investment Forum, Baba Fimi Aofala, for the invitation. Uh, as a way of introduction, why the focus on post-harvest processing? Uh, we have seen that uh, it's essential for increasing the value of agricultural products uh, if we need to derive more value, you know, get more return compared to just selling primary products, it's critical to do a post-harvest processing. And of course, too, if there is need for us to expand market range in terms of geography, in terms of time, and in terms of market segment, it's very critical to do post-harvest processing. Also important for post-harvest processing is, you know, the need to sort of expand the trade range. Uh, if you need to sort of venture into export of your commodity, 
uh, it's critical to be able to sort of undertake some post-harvest processing. And of course, too, in terms of increasing local linkages, in terms of, you know, uh, liberalizing the input sourcing space, and of course, uh, getting the adequate or the required services for your production, you need to sort of think of post-harvest processing. And of course, it's also important because it creates ripples within the economy. If you're thinking of uh, diversifying your economy, you want uh, the agricultural space to be able to provide employment, uh, allow government to derive more revenue, and of course, expand the socioeconomic development space for as many more people to participate, uh, create a sort of inclusive sector. It's important to engage into uh, post-harvest processing. And of course, too, uh, what I consider to be one of the very critical essence of post-harvest processing is mitigating food loss and food waste. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so, one of the things regarding post-harvest processing that I think is also important is when government spends so much money on fertilizer, on inputs, on anchor borrower scheme, on all the factors responsible for production and cultivation, and they forget the post-harvest processing, don't you think that you know, in order to have a hundred percent yield, or let's say eighty percent yield, um, if you don't get your post-harvest processing right, does it lead to a wastage of all those resources? What do you think? Well, to my mind, when government focuses on one aspect of the valuation, let's say primary production in this case, the resources they have invested into that aspect of the valuation does not necessarily go to waste. But if you talk in terms of value derivation, you have invested hugely in production. But what value are you getting by playing or only participating in that aspect of the valuation? Yeah. When there's an entire valuation for you to play a part in exactly. and to derive value, full value in an entire valuation. So if you limit yourself to just one aspect, and of course it's been known for a number of valuations, for a number of commodities such as cocoa, uh, such as coffee, mm -hmm. such as oil palm. If you're only involved in a primary production, the value you are deriving is far, far lower compared to the value that other participants in the rest of the value chain, particularly in processing yeah. and marketing, are deriving. So okay. it's key for you know government also think about the rest of the value chain, okay. add value, process whatever it is that has been produced primarily, okay. and you know use it as an opportunity uh, to bring about socioeconomic development. Okay, great. So going forward, post-harvest uh, processing it's in the heart of industrialization of agriculture. Uh, let's take, for example, uh, cassava. The cassava derivative market, market in Nigeria, and of course Africa and the rest of the world, has expanded in the last decade, owing to the commercialization of the processing of cassava roots into products such as starch, flour, syrup. In 2016, the global import of cassava starch stands at 4 million metric tons. This is a huge and growing market with opportunity for major cassava processing countries. Industrializing the cassava value chain yields is key to tapping into this big market. And of course, the market keeps expanding. Uh, to sort of make uh, or sort of present to us how essential harvest processing is, I uh, would like to take us through a number of scenarios. Um, the scenario number one relates to carbon laws, you know, and what are the key facts that we need to take note of. One, 
We need to note that one third of the food produced in the world for human consumption every year does approximately 1.3 billion tons of food get lost or wasted within the value chain. And of course, two food losses and waste amount to roughly uh, 680 billion US in industrialized countries. And of course, talking about developing countries, this value is about 310 billion US dollar, which is a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. And of course, industrialized and developing countries dissipate roughly the same quantities of food, respectively 670 and 630 million tons of food that you know is going to waste. And of course, we need to know that fruits and vegetables plus roots and tubers, they have highest wastage rates of any food type mm. in the world. Okay. Of course, global food losses and waste per year are roughly 30% for cereals, uh, 40 to 50% for root crops, uh, for fruits and vegetables about um, 30%, and of course too for uh, oil seeds, meat, dairy, and of course fish, 35%, according to FAO. So I wanted to also understand one thing. Does this mean that there are issues with post-harvest handling? Now I'm talking about handling before you even store and process. So is it that the, the handling of the harvest from the tree or the the actual um, agro product is not well handled, meaning that some fall on the ground or some are not harvested appropriately. Is that what leads to these losses? Yeah, uh, that's a very excellent question. Uh, the contributors of factors driving loss of food wastage are many. Like we mentioned earlier, which is the key topic of this uh, discussion, is uh, post-harvest processing. But of course, before you get to the point of post-harvest processing, how have you conducted your harvesting? Uh, a number of the food products we harvest, say you are harvesting cassava, or you are harvesting yam, or you are harvesting a range of fruits. The fruit should not be damaged in the process. If you want a, you know, a fruit or a food product that is preserved for a longer time, particularly those that you will not undertake through uh, post-harvest processing, be it secondary or primary uh, processing, you know, there should not be any injury or mark on said yam. Okay. If you want to take your yam to Europe, by time you know there is a mark during the harvest, maybe the cutlass has injured the yam one, at one point or the other. So it means you know that yam you cannot keep it, you cannot store it, and if you're taking it through the uh, uh, the transport uh, logistic chain, you know the condition may not be right, may not be appropriate for it to be able to withstand the long journey because there is already an injury at the point of harvesting. But of course there are other factors that lead to this high volume of waste and high volume of lost you know in food production yearly so in going forward um we can see that curbing food loss particularly in africa it's very essential uh this sort of projects to us how the food loss scenario has been for africa particularly for cassava uh, for young planting uh, sorghum products, and sugarcane, maize, uh, vegetables with, uh, with millets and the products. And what we have seen actually is as production volume increase over the years, 
the contribution that is going to waste that is lost keeps increasing. And it's because for a range of these crops, we do not have post-harvesting, uh, post-harvest processing in place that can actually help us to increase shelf life, you know, expand market reach for some mm-hmm. of these products, or, you know, sort of uh, help us to be able to preserve the thing, the products that have been harvested from the point of harvest uh, into the shelf or into the market and the dis- distribution channels. And of course, too, the next chart uh, sort of uh, gives a more uh, robust scenario in terms of uh, uh, African contribution to uh, food loss. We see that while the other continents are making progress, it's like, you know, this disaster with respect to food loss, it's mainly an African thing, or it's more pronounced when we are talking about Africa. And of course, this gives an opportunity for us to be able to respond uh, to the issues in our continent, and particularly in Nigeria, for us to begin to address the issue of uh, post-harvest processing and to begin to sort of uh, bring in more investment into this aspect of the agricultural value chain. Uh, global statistics, Just to recap the global statistics with respect to uh, food loss, like we mentioned earlier, uh, 45% of uh, fruits and vegetables are lost. Mm. And of course, for cereals, they're about 30%. In terms of dairy, it's about 20%. Okay. Same thing goes for fish and seafood, which is 35% of the total global production. Wow. For meat, we have about 20% that is lost. And for roots and tubers, the yam, the cassava, the potato, about 45% of what is produced yearly is lost. So to give us a kind of summary, you know, uh, food, losses, food losses takes place at production, at post-harvest, and of course in the processing stages in food production chain. Uh, food losses are mainly due to poor infrastructure, uh, logistics, lack of technology, insufficient skills, knowledge, and the management capacity of the supply chain actors, and the lack of market generally. So the scenario two relates to value creation. What are the key facts? What are, lo- what are we looking at? One, uh, post harvest processing is central to value creation and capturing value. And of course, too, uh, it's essential for value creation and related activities that take a whole chunk of the profit within the entire value chain. We realize that those who engage in uh, post-harvest or some kind of value addition beyond the primary production are those who take the highest chunk of you know, the profit or of the value that is derived or benefit that comes to players in the value chain. And of course, adding value allows farmers to capture as much as 80% of the value of most of the agricultural produce. A farmer who is engaged in uh, post-harvest processing can get as high as 80% of the value okay. of the final commodity. And of course, too, uh, value-adding activities allow for meeting the expectations of consumers, uh, such as the need for high quality, the need to have differentiated products, the need to have a wider market reach, and of course, to sort of key into uh, other related market opportunities. So value adding also in agriculture is a well, it's well known as a business survival strategy. If you need to survive as a business, 
it's not enough for you to play a part just in the primary production. You need okay. to sort of uh, play a part along the entire valuation. Okay. And of course, too, if you want to capture enough value, an agribusiness firm must engage in post-harvest processing. Correct. And of course, too, uh, compared to the export earning by coffee-producing countries, it's been said that retail value of processed coffee, you know, out of the 70 billion, only 5.5 billion goes to those who engage in primary production. Okay. You can imagine out of 70, only 5.5. That's wow. quite a very poor percentage. Very poor percentage. So, and of course, the value adding, it's a way to sort of disrupt the power asymmetry in the valuation. Those who derive more value have more power. Correct. If you are engaged in primary production and you want to have more power, you want to be, you want to be the person to set the price for the commodity, you need to play more role in post-harvest processing. So, now we talk about the agricultural financing landscape. Okay. Uh, it's good for us to know that we have the uh, the traditional financing for agriculture, mm -hmm. uh, talking in terms of uh, public and, and of course uh, pri pri private. Yeah. Uh, the public uh, financing for agriculture mm -hmm. is in form of grants, is in form of subventions, is in form of loans and it's in form of subsidies. So this, we can see in terms of the yearly budget that the government roll out. Okay. And we see the percentage that is devoted to uh, Ministry of Agriculture. Okay. And there's a percentage, you know, we can actually see clearly what goes into financing inputs, exactly. uh, financing the participation of a number of players in the agricultural space. And of course, too, we have uh, agricultural finance coming from the private sector players. This comes in terms in form of insurance, it comes in form of equity, it comes in form of debt, sometimes it comes in form of technical grants that is provided uh, by this private sector or commercial uh, funding, uh, funding. And of course, the key players in the public financing space is the government, uh, we have the donors, we have NGOs, and of course quite a number of specialized agencies who provide funding in the public agricultural, I mean, agricultural finance landscape. In the private agricultural finance landscape, we have banks, we have insurance companies, we have private equity funds, and yeah. quite a number of other people who are providing financing. Okay. So uh, I think also it's important for us to talk about uh, the medium through which this financing comes. And of course, we have in the public space, direct cash, you know, inputs are provided, Sometimes uh, raw materials and machineries are provided by government or government engaged in the procurement of machineries that they supply directly uh, mm -hmm. to those who are playing a role in the agricultural space. Mm -hmm. And of course, too, government provides services in the form of extension, uh, sometimes through capacity building yeah. uh, that comes in a kind of, is a kind of um, financing for the sector. And of course, too, uh, in terms of the private sector, uh, the medium through which they use is direct cash, uh, they provide input to, they provide machinery, and of course capacity building. So we have the non-traditional uh, financing within the agricultural landscape, and like we can see uh, the new digital agricultural finance that we are seeing, the crowdfunding, and of course too we have uh, carbon trading if your yeah. agricultural uh, processing or agricultural engagement uh, sort of provides opportunity for cutting emission or reducing emission uh, through your production. Uh, this table sort of provides for us uh, the Nigerian actual investment profile between 2011 
and 2016 in USD millions. Uh, we can see that in terms of value added, this is an FU data. Okay. There's been some projection. I mean, there's some 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 increase, okay. some some progress. But we also realize that between 2011 and 2016, sometimes we have this sort of drawback. There's you know a reduction in terms of uh, investment in the, in the agricultural landscape in Nigeria. Okay. Uh, to give us a more global perspective, uh, where is the funding? for agriculture coming from, okay. uh, who are the investors in the agricultural landscape. We can see that um, private uh, domestic fund, social okay. fund, takes a bigger chunk as compared to the public domestic funding. Okay. So, and of course, too, we have, you know, as foreign private investors and foreign public investment uh, that comes through, like the NGOs that are financed uh, by the apparent government, you know, in order taking agricultural development projects in developing countries. Uh, for the agricultural finance landscape in Nigeria, in okay. talking in terms of public sector, uh, we have Bank of Agriculture, uh, which was established in the year 2000 and okay. it has a focus on microfinancing of agricultural production we also have bank of industry which was established in 2001 uh, which focuses on financing industrialization mm -hmm. particularly processing a number of agricultural processing uh, industries have benefited from financing from the bank of agriculture and of course we have the uh, nigerian agricultural insurance corporation which was established in 1987 which provides insurance and some form of risk cover for investment in agriculture and of course we have the central bank which is uh, the bank of bankers uh, which uh, was established in 1958 which have been providing various sort of public financing for agriculture okay. quite a number of them they've engaged uh, uh, in, you know in the last um, decades and of course we have of recent the nigerian incentive-based risk sharing system from agriculture for agricultural lending uh, which has the main purpose or mandate to de-risk and catalyze lending to agricultural uh, investment uh, space we also have the nigerian export and import bank nexin uh, which provides uh, export credit guarantee and export credit insurance for export of Nigerian agricultural commodities. Okay. So, in terms of the challenges in the public uh, financing of agriculture, there are quite a number of challenges that need to be addressed by various stakeholders. So, this public financing also has to do with financing this post-harvest infrastructure. Of course, like meetings. the bank, the bank of industry, which is Correct. more or less like uh, government-backed um, financing. Okay. okay. Uh, they, they provide processing, you know, support, investment in processing uh, for industrial and um, commercial producers. Of course, too, talking in terms of the challenges, one key challenge is the high number of loan default and non-performing loans in the agricultural space and of course it's due to the high risk in nature of the sector we also have you know in a lot of times the politicization of the processes and access to agricultural finance okay you know we've had situations where uh, people who are not farmers people who are not manufacturing people who are not producing anything in the agricultural space yeah. have access to loans that are meant to sort of stimulate the sector and of course, too, we have issues where uh, there is inadequate capital to go around for people to be able to assess funds for Correct. their cultural investment. Uh, one of the key challenges we have within the public space is lack of capacity, skills, and of course, working through. 
agricultural investment, agricultural financing is changing, and people require the right kind of capacity, the right kind of uh, skills, and they require the right working tools to be able to help them to do their work uh, clearly. One key example is the deployment of uh, uh, GPS, GIS, mm -hmm. uh, georeferencing in, you know, in, in managing agricultural financing. It helps you to be able yeah. to know, okay, the funding have provided is going into agriculture. You can actually georeference a farmer who has received funding or an investor who has received support to be able to sort of undertake any agricultural investment. And of course, we see that there is a high disconnect uh, between the rural farming communities and population and the places where some of these people who are providing finance are headquartered. Uh, for me, to my mind, I would prefer uh, an agricultural bank to be rural community-based. An yeah. agricultural bank should not be based in the urban center, and yeah. you, you are disconnected. But they have community banks in the in the in the in the rural centers. Too. Yes, we we have community banks in the rural sector. But we don't have a, a proper agricultural desk. We don't. They may not have agricultural desk, and yes. their their focus is may not really be ag, may not be really be agricultural yeah, finance. Right, yeah, right, yeah, so right. of course, too, we've had series of incons inconsistency in policy underpinning agricultural finance. This needs to be addressed. Okay. And of course, to the level of innovation, we are now in an age where technology drives all sectors. So mm -hmm. the level of innovation in the agricultural financing landscape needs to increase, particularly public finance. We've not seen so much of innovation in this space. We need to have more innovation in this public financing space. And of course, too, we have a number of um, uh, downstream challenges like the lack of um, we have the lack of uh, offtake, uh, mm -hmm. price instability, uh, the usual cyclical gloves that affect the production cycle from year to year. Mm -hmm. All this all sort of uh, impedes the sustainability of agricultural investment. You know, if you have this cycle going back and forth, it's not helping you to sort of be able to plan you know, your agricultural investment properly. So, about that offtake, so yes. I, I would like to dimension it a little bit and go out of our topic a little bit because um, I just finished a, a training, you know, where, you know, in the Brixton Drill Camp series where we had um, talking about project finance fundamentals for infrapreneurs. And um, the, the, one of the key things we discussed within that training was the fact that if you have an offtake agreement, you know, with a counterparty, um, that will form a bedrock of a project finance deal. So, if you have a farmer, or an Ankobora farmer, or a, a an Outgoa farmer group, or something, and we need a a a, a cocoa processing facility, for example, but we don't have one, but we are farming cocoa, C can an independent person come and deliver that? post-harvest equipment in return for a fixed payment by the cooperative or the farming group you know i just want to know how do you think that will play out yeah thank you very much for that excellent uh, uh question actually when you have a kind of contract production you know you have found a way to mitigate mitigate uh risk you know relating to price relating to market volatility and you are sure that when you produce somebody has signed a contract to offtake everything you produce correct and that gives you assurance you know to be able to look for inputs it gives you sort of cover 
to be able to go to any length to source your material, to even source finance. If you need to get loan, if you need to approach a cooperative, if you need to approach a bank for funding, you know, it sort of gives you that sort of comfort that Correct. I have a contract to supply so so and so tonnage Correct. of cassava, so so and so tonnage. But I don't have process, the equipment. But I don't have the equipment. So somebody can now call me to help you to finance. So when you understand, when you have an offtake agreement. It helps you to be able to take care of every other requirement yes. and still make your investment profitable. Correct, correct. So so, so now, um, in addressing these challenges of finance and agriculture, you had mentioned the problems and things. Yes. Um, what do you think are the ways to address these challenges? Thank you. Uh, you know, addressing the challenges uh, relating to the financing, uh, one, there is need for us to de-risk financing of the sector. Okay. A lot of uh, financiers and lenders, they are not as excited, you know, they don't have the appetite to invest in their cultural aspects. And it's because of the high risk nature of the sector. So if they are de risking, you know, if there's a de risking for financing, a whole lot more people will be willing to play more, you know, more role. Definitely. And of course, to uh, issues relating to collateral uh, requirement for people to be able to assess loan, it needs to be reviewed. Now, we should be able to have, you know, mobile assets qualifying as collateral. And of course, too, if you have intellectual assets, or even if you have a perfect business plan, mm -hmm. that is an asset. You know, it's something that should be able to stand as collateral for you to be able to assess funding from the bank or well, investment from the bank. Well, well for that one, I, I think um, your business plan, yes, but what would be important more is if you can also... Uh, put in your 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 landed your land that mm -hmm. is the land you are farming on yes and also you may also have some intellectual property now if your business yeah. plan if you if you say you have a seed variety a yes. variety of a seed that nobody has in west africa and yes. you're the only one producing that seed yes. that intellectual property and the business plan yes will help yes. but the business plan alone may not stand as enough guarantee for any lender Def, def definitely yeah. the, the the whole point is you know we need to sort of shift away from this you know immovable assets Correct. as the basis for us to be able to have a collateral to be able to assess them. yeah I, I, yeah I, and i think more importantly for me is if if i've pledged to supply nigerian beauties yes um cassava yes. Or, or corn yes. and i have that contract yes. and as a farmer even that contract alone is a guarantee yeah you know that i can put down for it's anybody. an asset, it's by, an asset itself. by itself yeah yeah, yeah, yeah right okay yeah. go ahead so thank you so much and of course too there is need to promote agricultural insurance uh, that provides comfort for investors yeah and of course so uh, there's need to implement interventions that promote financial inclusion uh if uh, a farmer you know, needs to assess loan from a bank or from a financing institution. Uh, what is his banking ministry? If you have a farm, if you have a business, even if you have a business name or you have a registered agribusiness, but what is your banking history? Yeah. Do you have track records with the bank? Correct. So, and of course, too, uh, there's need to make the sector to be more commercially viable. There's need to structure the value chain. The value chain is still so unstructured. Uh, so many players are doing all sort of things. You are not sure of who is doing what. You are not sure of you know if people who are participating are deriving the right value. This sort of inconsistency and volatility in the sector mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. And of course, too, uh, 
There is need to sort of enhance the commercialization of agriculture. It's high time we stop doing agriculture like a, you know, kind of hobby or a development. There is need to fully commercialize agriculture. Correct. Agriculture should be seen as agribusiness, yeah. not just as a hobby. And of course, too, uh, there is need to promote financing from the non-traditional sources and provide conditions for them to thrive. We have the non-traditional financing that are coming up. We need to promote some of these options, you know, to sort of help us to uh, solve or address the challenges in the agricultural financing space. Okay, thank you so much. So, um, I think those issues are clearly identified and I'm sure they are addressing the issues on, on the post-harvest thing. At what point I would like to make is the fact that when a farmer um, wants to step up his game to the next level, um, he can definitely go approach all these sources to acquire this equipment. So the equipment we are talking about uh, might be silos, right? They might be... For storage. For storage. They might be a number of other things. But more importantly... It can even be sorting equipment or equipment for distoning exactly. or for even packaging. Exactly. So more importantly too, one could look at um, the leasing aspect of things. You know, if you feel that you only need this equipment for a short period of time. You could find companies that can lease, you know, these equipments to you to for you to use. So, I mean, you can give us a concluding remark, you know, for us to close on this. Thank you very much for that comment. Actually, uh, the fact that there is challenge in the agricultural financing landscape mm-hmm. also provides opportunity for as many players okay. to come in and bring in services. Sometimes a farmer who is farming barely two hectares or even less than 10 hectares uh, may not be using efficiently a processing machine. But somebody who knows, okay, yeah, the processing, a machine for uh, processing rice, you know, and distilling rice is required in a community can come up with an investment plan and put such a facility in place, Definitely providing that kind of service in Definitely. such a community, and the person will be able to serve many more people who are producing Definitely. rice. Definitely. I've heard some people do that for vegetable storage, you know, one cold of the cold yes. room and things Definitely. like that. Okay. So, in conclusion, I would like to say uh, the challenges that are hampering the unlocking of finance for most service processing are not unsurmountable. Okay. These are all, all issues that can be addressed. And tackling these challenges will require innovative financing solutions, harnessing technology, uh, applying non-traditional funding options, and continuous engagement with a broad array of stakeholders. With this, I'm sure we'll be able to address the challenge in unlocking financing for post-harvest processing so that we can derive more value from whatever primary products we are producing in the country and the rest of Africa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson. It's been a wonderful time. And um, this has been a very fantastic presentation. Um, we've learned a lot, and we basically will, you know, be able to engage with a number of our agricultural stakeholders in concluding this. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening to talks at Brickstone. Take care and goodbye. Thank you. Bye bye.